to another episode of Sensational Customer Experiences. This is the show where we explore the idea that everything your customer knows about you is a direct result of input from their five senses. It's what they see, hear, taste, smell, and touch that determines how much they love you. And now here's your host and consumer experience expert, Wes Miller. And I'm excited to be here today with a group of incredible Las Vegas entertainers. And uh, rather than me take the time to do the introduction, I'm, I'm going to just pass the mic, let each of them introduce themselves, tell you who they are, what they've done, and how they've impacted entertainment on the Las Vegas Strip for, I, I don't want to say decades for fear that they'll slap me, but you know, for however long they want to admit. So we'll start. I know we've got Jimmy Emerson. Why don't you why don't you go ahead and give it a start? Hi, Wes. How are you? Oh, just great. It's great to be here. Thanks for uh, asking us to uh, to voice our thoughts on your podcast. We uh, excited about. It. My name is Jimmy Emerson. I moved to Las Vegas in 1984, and I went to work for a man named Breck Wall, who had a comedy show that had toured literally the world called Bottoms Up. And uh, I'm a comedian. I grew up in Texas, Texas, where men are men, and the women are men. And the sheep are real nervous. Just saying. So, uh, so I've, uh, I, I've been very privileged to be able to work all this time since 1984. My first show in Las, professional show in Las Vegas was at the Mint Hotel downtown, Las Vegas. Uh, Breck Wall brought me in to do a show called Un. I'm sorry, it was Flamboyant Follies with Boy in big letters, and I was the star. And back then, I was known as Roxy Star. That was my drag name in Texas for years ago. Fast forward to today, I've, I was in the Lacaz show at the Riviera with Frank Marino and a lot of incredible performers for 24 years. I've been able to tour the entire world with the show, uh, Lacaz, uh, headlining and, or, or being the comedy star, and that's just me in a nutshell. I've done a lot, lot more than that, but uh, I want to give everybody a chance to say hello and let you know who's on the thing. So I'm Jimmy. Hello, Jimmy. Hello, I'm Rudolenska. I've been in Las Vegas, I guess now, for 25 years. It's the longest place I've ever lived. I moved here from New York City. Um, I danced in Europe mainly, um, and I worked here at uh, Guys Will Be Dolls at the Continental Hotel, which is now Silver 7th, I believe. Uh, and I was the lead show girl, and um, I did Marilyn Monroe in that number. Um, I've worked several places in town, um, and I've I enjoy being in Vegas now. The uh, It took me a while to get used to it, but now I enjoy it. As far as my career goes, I have another career that I do as well to pay bills. <laughs> because in, in uh, performance, sometimes you don't always have a steady gig. So um, I, I have a, a decorating job that I do as well. Hi, my name is Sean M. And I am a local female impersonator. I started out back in 1902 doing Lacage as Madonna in San Francisco and then moved here to Las Vegas. Actually, it was 1988. And then I also make costumes for a lot of different shows here in town and a lot of the drag queens on TV and local drag queens. And I just started doing a show with Jimmy Emerson at Badlands. So come check us out every Friday night. Hey, Wes, how are you doing? Excellent. So to the listeners, my name is LaWanda Jackson. I am a female impersonator, but not transgendered. I'm transmendered. I started in 19, I started in 1979 <laughs> in Portland, Oregon, where I won my first title as Miss Oregon. And then I went on to become a cast member at Lacage in Las Vegas on the strip at the Riviera. And from there, I went on to become Miss Texas, Miss USA, and Miss Classic. And since then, I've been an advocate and um, a three-year stroke survivor. And at the present time, I am currently an interview coach. I travel around the country teaching pageant contestants, male and female, how to get through an interview successfully. Because, you know, we don't buy the bull and the, excuse me. So, yeah, that's me. So, so I might hit you up for a tip in a moment on what I need to do to be successful at interviewing the guests. Oh, you said you're going to leave me a tip? <laughs> Fabulous. <laughs> there you go. And my other quick question is yes. transmendered. Is there a flag for that yet? Not yet. Okay. There's so many flags, I got my own. Yeah, okay. 
Hi, I'm Michelle Holiday. Uh, I started back in 1888 with Jimmy Emerson, <laughs> but not really. <laughs> yes. So I had, I had but, initially worried about mentioning decades. I didn't realize I could actually do centuries. Either. Yes. <laughs> but uh, I started doing drag back in Monroe, Louisiana. Then I moved on to Florida, learned a lot while I was there. Then I moved back here, Mac. To Vegas when my mom got sick and I've been here ever since but it's fun to be here excellent you know, I, I just feel so honored to be surrounded by all this talent one of the things that I, I knew I wanted to find out or I want to ask about is I would imagine that there are like hundreds and hundreds of people throughout the United States and maybe you know around the world who like and enjoy the idea of uh, impersonation and and trying to create illusion but i think to end up on the las vegas strip like you have it means that you're like really the best and so i wanted to find out what is it that you do or how is it that you have been able to set yourself apart as an expert in this field at creating the illusion and creating the imagery and and the excitement and fun and my, my thought is, for me, I am a full circle person. I believe that the circle around you can determine your longevity in this business. Your coworkers, your best friends, the people you deal with every day can determine your rise and fall. And God forbid you fall, they're going to be there to, ca- to catch you. I've been blessed to have Jimmy, Michelle, Sean, Mike, everybody sitting in this room as a safety net because we're all going to fall. But it's who catches us in my career that's allowed me to sustain my career this long, my friends in my circle. And I'm grateful for that. Okay, Extremely so, grateful. So what I hear you saying is it's important to be well networked and to select those that you choose to let in your circle because you're all in this together. It's not just and all we really individual. Are. When one of us falls, we're all there to catch him. Okay. Am I right, Sean? Yeah, for me. All right, thank you. Mm-hmm. That's that's that is great input. As far as getting into character and stuff, we're still learning. You know, I've been impersonating Madonna and Reba for over twenty years now, and I'm still learning things. I'll watch a video of theirs and I'll see something new or different that they do that I want to try out. So it's a continue. It's an it's an evolution. You know, we never stop learning. We never stop trying. You know, I've been painting myself forever, and I just learned some new tricks the other day from a younger drag queen. So, you know, it's always just a it's a evolving thing and you know you have to have really good friends and people around you to support you because otherwise you just go through this life alone and that's no way to live um to get on the strip we do have to be the best of the best but it's tough because there's always someone better right behind you so as long as you have your friends and the support of all that that usually helps out a lot and when you do go on when one door closes five other doors open so if a show closes there's always another one getting ready to open a lot of us just went out and opened up our own shows and did our own things and that's how we keep going um i'm lucky enough to be able to also be a costume designer here in town and um, that I learn something new every day as well. You know, I'll, I'll see a new design or a new costume. What I like to do is have people come to me with their ideas, and then I just make their ideas come to life the best that I can. And I find that works a lot better for me and for the people that I sew for. Because I usually only sew for my friends. <laughs> so, so I hear you saying, in addition to some of the other thoughts that we've heard, that it's really important to realize that learning and growing is an ever-ending process. Oh, definitely. That, you you can't you know, just um, and if we want if we don't want to keep learning, there's always someone on our heels ready to take our. There place. is always somebody right behind you that's ready to to scratch you in the back or cut you. I still have fingernails in my back <laughs> from some of the drag queens that have stabbed me in the back so much. But um, yeah, they're all fake. So, but the thing is, is you have your close friends. You always have to learn. I think with any profession or any job, you're going to continue. You know, I went to beauty school. Kind of glad I didn't do that for a living because you can constantly have to keep going back to school and learning. With sewing, I know the basics, but you know, I don't know everything, so I'm always learning something new there. And now with um, you know, with makeup, because I started out just impersonating characters, Madonna and Reba and Marilyn Monroe, so I only learned how to paint their faces. But now my drag has evolved to where I do stand-up comedy and a lot of other things where I can just be myself. So I've had to learn how to just paint my face and to paint for that instead of trying to look like someone. So it's just continuously learning, but it's a lot of fun. 
cost a lot of money, though. <laughs> okay, so the investment's important, too. Yeah, it'll look this cheap. Okay, thanks. I agree with what everyone has said, of course. But I think my only addition would be, uh, and I think everyone in this room is, professional. I think you need to be professional in the business. You show up, you do what you say you're going to do. Um, and that, I think, is very important and being friendly because without that, there's nothing. If you don't show up, you don't do your gig, it's, it, everyone looks bad. So I think just you know, making sure you keep your word, you do what you say you're going to do, and you do it to the best of your ability, I think that's your main goal. I love that message. I, I think about that book, The Four Agreements. Mm-hmm. And keeping your word is one of the four agreements that is talked about. And um, sometimes I have to, you know, remember that when I say I'm going to do something, and you know, people count on that. They they're relying on you to do that. So. Exactly. Yeah. You know, Wes, uh, this is Jimmy again. I just want I just want to reiterate what everyone just said. Uh, learning your craft, doing the best that you can. It is stiff competition in any field. We are in show business. It happens to be female impersonation. Uh, and that's a difference that I want to touch on just for a second, if it's okay. Sure. There are so many, I, I get asked, because I host a lot of shows and I travel a lot, all the time, what's the difference between a drag queen, a female impersonator, and a transsexual, and a transgender? And the, the titles go on and on. Yeah, transmendered. And a transmender now. I'm going to tell you, my definition for a female impersonator. Now, uh, for me, it's just what it says. You're impersonating a female, okay? You've heard this story a million times. Back in olden days, women like Shakespeare and before, they would write these classic Greek plays and Greek tragedies and stuff. Women were not allowed to appear on stage because of the time that it was. So a lot of times men would have to dress as the woman to play the part in the play. That's where D-R-A-G, drag, came from. Dress resembling a girl would be your stage direction. I had just learned something new. Well, I and, did and that's not, not exact. That. I, I may have not said it perfectly, <laughs> but that is the gist of it. And, and uh, so a lot of men used to have to play the women's parts in plays. Well, of course, we've come a long, long way. And uh, without getting political, we might be going backwards right now. But anyway, without that, that is what this is all about. And my personal definition of a female impersonator and or drag queen, I think the terms, some people think drag queen is a derogatory term. I do not. Because because I'm a comedian, I like to I have fun. My I impersonate the big girls. I you know I've done Roseanne Barr, I've done Anna Nicole Smith, I've done Mama Caz. I, I've, uh, I'm I'm a I have a big mouth. I like to get on stage and crack the jokes and pick on the the people in the audience and 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 that's what I love. But for me, if you're in a professional show like we've all been in, Lacage or Unbelievable or or Divas or any of the shows that I've run, you show up dressed as you you live your life as a man. Okay, you show up and you you create the illusion. You put on makeup and eyelashes and you block your eyebrows and you tuck all your private parts and you and you put on the pantyhose and the tights and the bra and the padding, you know, and you look. And you create the illusion of a woman and you go out and if you've got any talent at all, whether it's lip sync or look alike, like Sean, you know, is a great uh, Madonna, LaWanda, amazing Tina Turner. There's a whole story there. We went to Brazil one time and I made I made LaWanda get up in Brazil and sing live because they the format of our music didn't allow her to lip sync. And I said, oh, by the way, you're going to have to do Tina Turner live. We were in this 5,000 seat uh, discotheque or whatever they call it. And LaWanda got right up climbed the scaffolding, grabbed a microphone, and started singing. What's love got to do? I'll let her do it. No, but it was it was amazing because she she had the confidence and 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 the faith in me. Then she said, "Jimmy, I, I, I I've never done." I said, "You can do it." And I handed her a mic. I said, "And you will do it." And she did. He did. Right, right up there and brought the crowd, brought the house down. So. There's so many stories that I could tell you go on and on, but I know your program is limited. But at the end of the day, I just wanted to point out that each of us in this room have a different niche of the way we approach. But my whole thing is you show up as a guy, you do the performance the best you can as a girl and get your crowd and get your fan base and get everybody going. And then you take it all off and you go home. And that's the drag queen slash female impersonator. Now, if you're trans 
transgendered or transsexual. Am I saying it right? You may want to live your life dressed as a woman. And there are people that do the full transition. You know, many of them are my friends. We've had, I've, I've actually hosted pageants and uh, produced pageants for, uh, for transsexuals. And some of them, I mean, are, they're all beautiful, but some are just amazing. Uh, I could mention a few names that uh, shouldn't, should I? Mimi Marks. Uh, so many, Maria Roman. Uh, I know so many. Coco, Coco Van Cartier. Oh, anyway, we could go on and on. There, there are so many, and they're all working, but they don't lie to their audience. The audience who knows them knows that that's their lifestyle. That's what they do, and they present themselves as daily in life as a woman. And, of course, as you know, politically now, there's this whole transgender bathroom issue, and and that's a whole other subject, probably a whole other show. But as far as everyone in this room is concerned, we are performers. We get dressed to put on a show, whether it be a dramatic performance. Uh, I've seen uh, Sean go on as Madonna with backup dancers and bring the house down. LaWanda does a half-and-half act where one half... Uh, he does uh, uh, Diana Ross. The other half, he does Lionel Richie. He's getting. He did. He did a half and half where he turns one way, and he's uh, Nat King Cole and Natalie Cole. I mean, La- uh, uh, Michelle Holiday can go out as Aretha Franklin and make the house jump up and dance. But it's all in the energy level and the performance, and that's where the real talent of these people in this room comes from. And and it's not just us. I could name you hundreds of people that I personally have worked with, and there's a lot more. But there is a huge difference between how you present yourself. And I present myself as I like to live as a man. I love to dress up and entertain as a woman, but I'm also an actor. I've done serious acting. I've done a lot of comedy acting, but nothing pleases me more when I can put on all my regalia, all my sequins and all my big hair and my big lashes and go out and be Jimmy Emerson, the drag queen. And just because all of a sudden, I, I kind of have a mask on, and I can go out and say things that I may not normally say as Jimmy. I can say them as I'm dressed as my my illusion, my onstage illusion, which used to be called Roxy Star, but I'm, I'm Jimmy, in or out of drag. But I always have fun doing what I do. And I'm glad Jim said that. That's what I was going to hit on. In, in corporate America, they're more likely to hire a drag queen versus a transsexual because they can't digest. A transsexual is, is too much to deal with. A drag queen is a man putting on women's clothes. Mm-hmm. Jim, am I right? When they call you for a gig, they want you to hire someone who was down live as a woman. Who, so there's a line drawn in the sand. It will always be until the mindset opens up to that. And, and hopefully we can start to see some movement in that direction it, it's and television seeing, and media television and media is doing it now you know what's funny is that um uh the term drag queen or drag show or female impersonation show when i first started in the 80s it was like oh we're going to a drag show we're going to a drag show i mean but and you know what you know who loves a drag show more than anybody i mean the gay people all love it we've been around it all our lives pretty much is this is the, the the straight audience and the women that want to see the makeup and the hair and they drag their husbands you usually because i'm a comedian and i this happened for years they would drag their husbands or boy, boyfriends screaming i don't want to go see that and ah, and they'll come in and and they'll laugh and they'll see and they'll they're the ones that stay and want the autograph in the picture the, the straight guys they come to the show we almost always win them over because they go oh it's not weird it's just funny it's entertainment and so in the year 2018 there's a everybody that i know gay or straight knows a drag queen or 12 <laughs> or somewhere in between right sean you sean you made an interesting point and i i kind of want to go further with that and you had talked about you use the term painting a face on you mm-hmm. painting and you do Madonna and Reba. And I guess the question is, and I never thought about it, but how does that work? I mean, you, you, you made it sound very like you're doing art. Well, we, you, it, well, it is kind of art. It, we use our face as a blank canvas. You put the base and powder on and kind of blink it all out. And then you take the makeup and I use paint brushes. I don't buy makeup brushes. And if I could, I'd buy my makeup at Lowe's, you know, 
but um, you you just have to um, once once you create a blank canvas, then you have to create with the makeup. We call it painting, but you you create the illusion, or you do the contouring, and and you just paint Madonna's face on your face. You have to have some resemblance to the person naturally, and then you take what you naturally have and just make it bigger. And especially if you're on a big stage with lots of lights, you know you have to. That's why we have to block out our eyebrows. I just shave mine off because why bother? So you know you just have to paint bigger um i do a lot of up close drag so i don't paint as big as i would as if i was on stage on the strip you know with millions of lights on me but um for me it is artwork it is it's an art form you know and and when i do the costumes it's just another way of doing art and creating is there some new um design that you're creating now some new entertainer that you're learning to to paint on well yeah my good friend pheromone was on the rupaul drag race that that rupaul drag race helped and didn't help drag you know it made it really mainstream so it's not as not as taboo like jimmy was saying we're back in the day it was just a little taboo thing to go see a a drag show but um i do a lot of my friend pheromones costumes and um i actually when i said earlier that i'm learning from a, a younger queen she's actually taught me a lot of different new makeup techniques and stuff that i didn't know you know because like i said for years i just painted Madonna's face on my face but now that I'm doing more stand-up comedy and just regular drag I've learned different techniques and things of how to paint and and um, contour and and just redo it all (laughs) Uh, if you don't mind Wes I I have a great question for my friend Ruta Linska Mm -hmm. Who just happens to be here? She's going to be doing my show, by the way, at Badlands Saloon. Okay, <laughs> every Friday night, eleven thirty, a nine fifty three East Sahara in the Commercial Center. We're actually celebrating as of today six years, six years, and it's a it's, a it's a small, nice little gay club. They have gaming. They have shows five times a week. My show is called Fabulously Funny Friday. They asked me literally six years ago if I would start my show there, do a show on Friday nights. And I thought, oh, well, sure, why not? You know, and and it really took off. We're packed every night. And I don't know if you can use this on your show or not, but the Badlands happens to be next door to a very famous swingers club called The Green Door. And The Green Door, whatever they do swing do at swingers clubs i don't know i i tried to ask one time i i went next door to say hello i opened the door to say hello but they were all busy playing okay so we're, so we're putting it out there that if anyone knows what happens at swingers clubs you know drop us an email i'll make sure jimmy gets a copy well, thank, of that well, email so far like i said all i saw them do was play leapfrog but okay anyway <laughs> they're very nice and here's what happens because they can't sell alcohol there we're literally next door so all the swingers the, the, mostly women and their dates or husbands or whatever will come for our show they've learned that there's a friday night show there and it's a lot of comedy a lot of illusion and it's fun and uh and we get a great crowd of it. it's half it's a half straight audience and they're the best i'm sorry drag all my years of experience of traveling the world and i've worked literally at most every casino the riviera for 24 years i've worked in bali i've worked in canada i've worked all over the, the audience that loves the stuff we do as drag are mostly straight. They just love it. And, uh, you know, what was I going to say? Oh, I wanted before ask, I, before I got off the uh-huh. subject, because I have a friend here who happens to be doing my show this Friday, who I've known for many years. Uh, I Correct me if I'm wrong. His story is a little different because he, he does drag, but he's more of a dancer and an illusionist and a costumer than like me and Sean and, and LaWanda. We've done contests and pageants and, and we've all worked on the strip. Well, so is Ruta. But I wanted to give Ruta a chance to say kind of the other, maybe the side we're not presenting about showgirl and and the the whole we were talking about feather fans earlier it's a big deal it's called burlesque and and cabaret would would you just mention something about all that well my life is different because i started as a male dancer i danced in the moulin rouge in paris the alcazar in paris however in the alcazar in paris that was kind of a a cabaret show that was it wasn't gay per se, but it had a lot of gay characters in it. And in that, we did a parody on Swan Lake, where I was a male dancer, but I was one of the swans. And so it was, everything was like tongue in cheek, a little bit changing, a little bit. So it had overtones of gay to it. Um, so when I finished dancing and I moved back to the States, I was living in New York City, and that's when I got started doing drag. 
because I kind of missed the show business, but I was working in, in a nine-to-five job. And I had friends then who were at the Imperial Court of New York City. And they asked me, do you want to come and join that club or that group? And I said, yeah. So within a, a week, I was doing shows, and uh, it was it opened up a whole new can of worms, <laughs> more, more or less. And, but back then, there was only 16 members in the Imperial Court of New York City. I know, we met in someone's living room in, in their apartment. But um, I look at drag, I, I don't really impersonate characters like these guys do. I just, in my own Rudolenska character, and I do whatever I feel like doing, basically, whatever I want. I've actually performed as a showgirl <laughs> at the, I actually performed as a showgirl in Guys Will Be Dolls, which was on the strip, and I was also, at that, at that time, I also did Marilyn Monroe, and that was a, a fun number that I had done. It was really well choreographed. So I believe in, um, I like a lot of choreography and numbers. I really think that's important. And I think your costume, your image is, is vital. And that's my two cents on that, I think. So one of the things I like to do with groups, and you've just, Jimmy, you've kind of started it. Um, I like to give everybody the opportunity to ask the person to their right a question. And anything you'd like to know. So look to the person to your right, ask any question that you'd like, oh. hand them the mic and see Well, I can we do get. that. The person to my right, by the way, Ruta Linska just had to leave. But the person to my right is one of my best friends in the world, Sean Magby. Sean M. is his stage name. And we're close. We're seriously like brothers or sisters uh, uh, his mom and I were very close for many years and she, we just lost her recently and it's been a, a tough time for all of us but uh, what kind of question a showbiz question you want no, any ask? question you want well answered. I'm not sure Anything what to ask Sean know. is that uh, how soon can you make me a new costume because <laughs> he, he's really question. no he's really good about getting things done when you actually need it so uh, maybe he can expand on his costume stuff because okay. he does a lot of it well i'm actually working on stuff for you right now <laughs> and for lawanda and for farah and trying to fit in something for me now that i'm doing your show more regularly i had gotten rid of a lot of my drag ding dong so now i've got to rebuild my drags um my drag closet um but i just do a lot of sewing for a lot of the the drag queens i think a lot of the drag queens like coming to me because i can recreate something like especially if a character if they're going to do a character i can just see pictures of whatever the real person wore and i can recreate that for them um i'm doing stuff for my friend farah for when she does her tours and stuff around the world but a lot of it like i said earlier is just taking um, their ideas and making them possible for their vision. You know, I, I, I don't need to create my own line or my own costumes. I like to take my friends' ideas and just make that for them. And I know how to make things more for the men's bodies. Even though it's female clothes, our bodies are a little bit different. So I have to, to rearrange and make things bigger or smaller in areas or whatever. So now my person to the to the right of me is Lawanda Kentucky Jackson, whom I've known since I was 18 years old. I've known most of these people since I was 18 when I first moved to Vegas. And the first show I ever saw on the Strip was an evening at Lacage. And before that, you know, I never in a million years knew or even thought about guys dressing up like women and especially doing impersonation. And I think Lawanda was in the show then and you did the half and half of Diana Ross and Lionel Richie. No, they, she did that later. I think first it was Ross and Lionel Richie. I think that's when I first saw you. Um, what inspired you to do the half and half characters? There was there was an artist by the name of Dan Hankins who was on putting on the hits, and I was a friend of his back in Houston. Uh, over the years, he had uh, gotten ill, but I'd always be with him, helping him with his wig, helping him dress, helping him. He no, I was just remind you, Dan Hankins. I hadn't heard that name in a while. Yeah, he was in Lacage, yeah. and he won that contest. They had he won ten thousand, I think, and then. He won the for grand the finals. finals. He yeah. won a hundred thousand dollars for doing that act. And and he was a specialty act, and he also worked for Greg Thompson. And then Nubert saw him and brought him into the show. And they did. Land. He's been all the Lacoste shows he's been in, like literally. So he had fallen ill. He went to he went into a reclusive state, and he wouldn't let anybody see him but me. He gave me all his costumes. He said, "Wendell, I know you can do this. I'm going to call Nubert and tell him I can't make it anymore." And he called me. Nabair called me and said, Wendell, I know you don't know me. My name is Nabair Alleman. Dan Hankin gave me your phone number and told me to come and fill his spot. No warning, no nothing. But Dad told me he was going to do it, but I didn't know it was going to happen that soon. 
Now, Barry called me in Houston, Houston and asked me to pack up everything that I had, send me a $2,000 check, and asked me to uproot my life to Vegas. I didn't have to audition anything. But then I also had a good friend in the show who, would, who if I needed help in finding a place and getting relocated, that's when Jimmy came in. And so it goes back to the circle. I, my circle has always been the same. I'll bring someone in, but I have to make sure that the circle is tight. And because of that, I'm grateful for them and Jimmy. You're up to ask Michelle a question now. So, Anything you want to know. So my, my question to Michelle is, Michelle, I want to know out of everything that you've been given in your lifetime, some people would kill to have what you've been given, but sometimes you take it for granted. What makes you take what you have for granted and why is that obstacle in your way for keeping you from being successful? What is it? Back in 2009, I was in a coma for a month and a half. They said I wasn't going to make it, but I did. I am scared to live life now. I don't know why, but it's like I've gotten to the point where anybody say anything to me, I just, and it's the wrong thing, I snap. But it's like when my mom died, it just like my life stopped because she was my life and she was my support. Now I have my sister and my older brothers and my younger brothers going, you need to go and do what you have to do. And I'm still scared to do it. And I don't know why, but I understand the question, but I I just don't know why. Because I was left here to do something and I'm scared to move on. Mm -hmm. That's the reason why. I was in the hospital for three months and it's just like, I, I don't I shouldn't be scared because I've always been a go getter, but I've slowed down about being a go getter. And it's just like it's me and it's nobody else. But I need to be a go getter. I need to go back to being me. I'm doing my dear in Laughlin this weekend. <laughs> and LaWanda was one that told me years ago, you need to do my dear when she first came out live. Okay, okay, so we we want a sneak peek at the Medea. Can you give us a line or two? Hello. Hello. (laughs) What you doing on my front porch? Get off my fence, monkey. (laughs) Okay, and and where is this going to be? It's going to be Laughlin at Tropicana. Okay. Showtime at 8 o'clock. So is this going to be an ongoing show or is this a one-time? It, no, it's an ongoing show. It's an ongoing show. It's unbelievable. And I want to make sure okay. Madrid gets my 10% check. Okay. 10%. So so Michelle still needs to ask her question of Jimmy. Oh. Oh. Yeah. So Jimmy thought he was getting off oh, the hook. Oh, I thought I was but... going to get off the hook. But while we're on the subject, <laughs> M- Michelle did say we are doing the show. We do it every summer in Laughlin for the last three years at the Tropicana Resort and it's the 16th uh, there are tickets available I'm going to take a plug here <laughs> and the show is called um, uh, Unboilievable and Michelle is joining me uh, my friend Brent Allen who I worked with in Lacage for many years will be doing Judy Garland and Bette Midler uh, Kenneth Rex who I worked with in Lagage, and who's also in Divas, the Frank Marina Divas show. We'll be doing Marilyn Monroe and, um, no, uh, what's her name? Uh, uh, <laughs> who's doing Lady Pat Gaga? Benatar. And then, uh, <laughs> who's doing what? I said, who's doing Lady Gaga? Lady Gaga. Well, it would be Kenneth, but we've got a great cast, and not to go on and on about it, but it, we do it. And then in Laughlin, the Tropicana is a real fan of, of my my company, uh, which is SPE Entertainment, but we're in coordination with my good friend Jim Lash, who owns a travel agency called Unique Destinations. And Jim, over the last few years, has has grown his company into he needs a he needs now a groups manager, which he's graciously given me the title. Uh, and because of my schedule, I only do club dates here and there, and I have I can take time off when I need. I've been able to go to Hawaii and New York. I've been to New York. York City four times in the last year and a half so to bring groups, and do? it's a wonderful opportunity for me because Jim Lash uh, just books the tours, uh, a group of people, usually 30 or 40 plus people, and I get to go meet them at the airport, make sure they're all there, they all get their rooms, they all get on the bus, and and then for me, it's a perk because I get to go to New York now three, four times a year, see shows and have fun. I went to Hawaii last year. 
I went to Spokane. I got to go to the Cayman Islands of all things. So somehow Hawaii, the Cayman Islands, and then Spokane. There's like what's well, Spokane, one of these? Well, you know what? It's you not go like with the other. That's right. But but it's 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 a group. Whatever he when Jim Lash gets a call from a group says, "Hey, I understand you." handle groups and travel arrangements. Yes, I do. Where do you want to go? Well, if it's Spokane, then it's Spokane. If it's Canada, it's Canada. If it's New York, yay. If it's Hawaii, woohoo. If it's the Caymans, yeah. Jeez, thank you, Jesus. So anyway, okay. so it's always it's been great and it, and because my schedule is so open now, so honestly to be honest because I worked for 24 years with Lacage and it was a steady gig and the money was great. But when that ended in 2009, I kind of thought, oh, wow. It's like when a big corporation just closes down and everybody loses their jobs, which mm-hmm. is happening a lot. Anyway, uh, uh, I thought, well, what am I going to do? Oh, I had plenty to do. Like Lawanda said, and like Sean said, we have circle of friends. I, the moment Jim Lash found out I was available to help him with his travel agency, I was. he said, what can you do to ha- I help him research things? We find, you know, cheap tickets for people, tours. Uh, a lot of our people are high-end clients that want an exclusive, you know, uh, mansion. We just did one in Salt in uh, Mount Zion. We just had a big client that took all these construction workers to a beautiful site on the mansion in Mount Zion, 600 private acres. And all they wanted me to do was be there to make sure that they all had their bedrooms and I made breakfast every morning. And I was like, yay, you know, I got to go spend two weekends in Mount Zion. I mean, my life personally, I, I feel so blessed because I get, I never know what the the new day is going to bring. And at my age, and I'm almost 42, Shut Almost. up, everybody. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> no, but seriously, I couldn't ask for a better life than what I'm doing now because of what I've done in the past. And I have made many connections and many lifelong friends. And people know that I will show up. Somebody mentioned that earlier. Rudolin, when you say yeah. your schedule, if you can depend on someone. When I hire someone in show business, you show up. I mean, if the show's at 8 o'clock, you got to be ready and go at 8 o'clock. You got a whole room full or audience You've full got of people. You've got 500, 100, or 1,000. Who knows how big yeah. your audience is? They all showed up. And if you got stopped, if you didn't plan, and I'm paying you $500 to perform in my show, then you better damn well be there or be in the hospital. There's no excuse for not showing up. Okay. That's when you get a bad reputation for as an entertainer. And everyone in this room, I don't think, there's always the occasion, but 99.999% of the time, always are there early and that's the key to show business especially as an entertainer you've got to be dependable and showing up is all i've worked with producers that i would be for instance with breck wall taught me a lesson many years ago uh i was i was going to be my i was in the show and i had trouble with a zipper or a costume or something i said oh my god breck uh uh i'm not ready he goes well then just get ready just get ready i said but my he said well, you're a, you're a professional, wing it. So I went out without my costume and I did the act anyway and it went over just as well. But you do not miss a cue. In show business, live theater is just that. That's kind of a great concept for anyone in any profession. In any, perfor- in any I'm not business. Ready. Well, then get ready. Well, then get ready. And yeah. I almost had that stitched on a pillow. I'm not ready. Yeah. Well, then get ready. Yeah. There's no excuse. We may put that on a t shirt. We should. We will definitely be sure to include information about the um, travel and the group. Oh, good. Uh, you need destinations because I yeah, we'll put that you, on the ex- episode page on yes, the web. So people it's an can- exciting venture for me. I'd like to put the owner of Unique Destinations on. Put him on. My my best friend, Jim Lash. So how this all starts with me not being in female impersonation or doing anything about that, I started out as a dancer in the 80s. And I did gymnastics. I broke my wrist. I broke my leg. And I realized through the friends I have with so many of the people here that they needed, they had their own characters, they had their own visions, they had their own thing, but they didn't incorporate anybody else into that. As a choreographer, which I did five shows here in Las Vegas in the 80s and 90s, late 1900s, okay, (laughs) saying this, um, that incorporating all of them, they respected you enough to listen to what direction you had to them because they knew it was for the better good. 
And I think with corporations, they need to really remember that people are there to help them and to not really be undermining. And if you can find a great group of people that can help you pull it all together, which this really is, and I haven't spoken tonight, but everybody has talked about the shows they've done. And I was with Michelle in the 80s and you in the 90s and you in the everybody and we all come together <laughs> because they respect you and if they respect you is because you, they trust. know you respect them trust. and trust them and 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 so with the company that i have now which is unique destinations is what we need to do now in our lives and as a choreographer i do that with all my groups and there's 75 100 150 people and planning and doing it all and then putting the closest group of people i can think of is heading these places because I can't go to all of them, and Jimmy's one of them, and Michael is one of them. And it's what you need to do. You have to trust people. And everyone is their own star, but you have to pull them all together. Excellent. So I'd like to switch gears a little bit. Okay. And to tell just a quick story from that, one of my stories, and that is when I first moved to Las Vegas in <coughs> 1990, and I arrived on a Sunday afternoon and by the next day, Monday night, I was a VIP at a show I'm sure you all are familiar with uh, at the Sahara. It was the old Sahara. It was a show called Boylesque. Oh, Kenny Kerr's Boylesque. Kenny Kerr's Boylesque. And I'm, I, I remember still all these, not centuries, but decades yeah, later. thank you. That, uh, that, was, that show was different. It was, it was so different from anything I had ever seen. And I, I just thought I'd give everybody an opportunity. Do you have any well, thoughts or anything you know, you'd like been, to share about Kenny Kerr, with, about the show? Oh, my goodness. I, I've been dying for you to ask about Kenny Kerr because uh, Kenny Kerr's show in Vegas started in the 70s at a place called the Silver Slipper. When he came from New York, Queens, New York, uh, somewhere in New York, I forget. Kenny and I became very close friends. And it, the first time I saw a quote-unquote professional drag show called Boylesque, like you said, with Kenny Kerr, and he came out tall, beautiful, uh, big hair, nails, took control of the room, came out, sang live, not lip sync. That was one of the things that live. really stood out. That I was like, I'm so wowed by that. And then started doing his monologue talking to the audience and he had he was a quick wit he could he he just where are you from uh from new jersey which exit he had all those lines you know oh i love your hair well i hope you win you know <laughs> so honey do you have a makeup bag <laughs> yes i do well then use it <laughs> i mean serious all those classic lines kenny would just do and do you know he do. He was classic. I mean, he taught. I know everyone in this room us how to not do drag so much, but how to present yourself as a professional. You go on that stage and you own it. Well, so what if you're a man in a wig? If you're a if you're a performer and you're confident, and Kenny was the most confident performer I think I've ever known in my life. Would go and own it. He worked for many many years and did. It was very successful. As a matter of fact, when you and I spoke a while back, Wes, uh, we were going to do an interview, and I, we, I got busy, and you got, well, I got busy. Uh, can't, we just, the word's not celebrate, we just recognized that the passing of Kenny, he died ex almost exactly five years ago, and it seems like yesterday. It seems like yesterday. And he had so many friends and so many connections that the name Kenny Kerr is synonymous with professional drag now there are a lot of other people out there you could talk about jim bailey you could talk about charles pierce you could talk about rupaul even rupaul who's taking it to a much higher level like sean said i'm not there's a lot of good in it but there's a lot of negative too but that's a whole nother issue at the same time with kenny kerr i'm so proud to have been his friend and to get to know him and learn his classic timing style he could present a joke he could tell the same single joke every night, and it was this, you heard it for the first time in your life. And he did, and it was brilliant. And so many people have tried to copy very unsuccessfully. There was only one Kenny Kerr, and he was it. And uh, 
Thank you for bring, bringing that up. Yeah, He's taught, you. I know everyone in this thank room, you for sharing a lot, a lot. Anyone else would like to share some I'm sure. thoughts about so. Kenny? So you said you came here in 1990. I was backstage probably at that time with Kenny Kerr. I was 20 years old, and my boyfriend at the time was one of the lead dancers in the show. And that period of Kenny's show at the Sahara was probably the epitome of his career. That was the best show on the strip aside from Siegfried and Roy. It was just spectacular with all those boy dancers and those huge amazing costumes. And it wasn't just look-alike, look-alike. They had look-alike in it, but it was just also drag, just comedy drag, fun drag. They had lead showgirls, beautiful showgirls that were men that you would never have known, plus the gorgeous men dancers in tuxedos. And then Kenny would come out and do Barbara Streisand, and you'd swear that Barbara Streisand was standing there. It was just amazing. But he's one of the the few back in those days. When you start out in drag, there wasn't a lot of um, help. You know, there was no Drag 101. There was no RuPaul. There was none of that stuff back then. I had to rely on the older drag queens to help me. And not a lot of them wanted to. A lot of them were a bunch of bitches. But Kinnicker was one of them that would sit me down next to him in his dressing room and, and make me watch. He says, just watch. And I would sit there for hours and watch him paint his face. Or sometimes he would have, um, I can't remember his name, Andrews or something like that. His costume designer would paint his face as well. I can't even remember his tranny name. But she would come in um, and paint him. And um, I would just sit there and watch, and Kenny would just let me, he would let me hang out with the drag queens backstage. He would just let me have full run of the place, because he was just that kind of person. You know, he, he, he understood that I wanted to learn, and he saw the, the, the wanting in me, because I really wanted to learn how to do it. And so if it wasn't for him and a few other um, of the older queens at Lacage that kind of took me under their wing, you know, I would never have gotten to where I got. Um, but my favorite Kenny Kerr story is we went to Peru, Lima, Peru, me, him, and a few other people. Actually, one of Madonna's backup dancers, Luis Camacho, was with us. And we went down there to do a show. Well, there was some sort of mix-up, well, scandal, with the producers, and all the money didn't get sent to where it was supposed to get sent. And the, the officials, the police, confiscated our passports and wasn't going to let us leave the country. So me and Kenny Kerr were scared to death. We didn't know what we were going to do. We're in basically a third world country, thousands of miles away from home. And we found this wrought iron fence. And, you know, we didn't have those fancy phones back then. So we had a disposable, I mean, with the cameras on it. So we had little disposable cameras. And we took pictures behind the thing like we were in jail down in Peru because we were really close to going to jail. But luckily, they figured since we didn't originally sign the contract, we got our passports back. The agent had to stay there in Peru until everything was taken care of. And I'm telling you, we got on the first plane out of there. It took me about two days to get back to Las Vegas, but we finally got back to Las Vegas. And then after that, we would just sit and giggle and laugh about it. But when we were there, we were scared to death. We were going to be stuck down there forever. <laughs> but Kenny Kerr was, was a great friend. I knew him very well. I went to his Christmas parties. He went to my Halloween parties. And I was very lucky to have been asked to do his benefit right after he passed away at the Smith Center downtown, that huge, beautiful stage. And we did a little section of the show for Kenny Kerr, and they played one of his songs. And I'm going to cry. <laughs> but it was really neat to perform for that on that huge stage um, and for Kenny Kerr. And to this day, I'll go somewhere, and somebody will mistake me and ask me if I'm Kenny or if I knew him. And I remember going into the Fantastic Swap Meet when I was younger, and all of a sudden, everybody started going to the front of the the building and I was like what are they all looking for and it was like because Kenny Kerr walked in they're like Kenny Kerr's here Kenny Kerr's here and it was so neat to see like hundreds of people just swarming around him and following him through there while he was doing his shopping and stuff because he was actually the godmother of drag here in Las Vegas if it wasn't for him none of us would really be doing drag here he had told me that in the 70s when he first got here that he was driving home with his makeup still on and got pulled over and they arrested him because back then you weren't allowed to disguise yourself. And so because of him, he's the one who got the laws changed to where we could still wear drag and stuff because of the mafia days and all that stuff. You weren't supposed to disguise who you really looked like. But because he got arrested and went through all that and went to court, that's why we can dress in drag now. We can go shopping at Walmart at 3 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> Interesting. Thank you so much for sharing that. <laughs> I know, a little bit of trivia. 
So I was I was fortunate enough to work with Kenny toward the end of his life. I didn't know that at the time. But Kenny's circle and his family was his demise. His circle, his family that he thought meant him well, really meant him ill. And I, that killed me to watch that, but I couldn't say anything because I was a new cast member. But Kenny trusted unconditionally. Sometimes he trusted the ones he shouldn't have. So I'm going to tell a story about trust. So Kenny picked me up to go do uh, Merv Griffin's theater in Palm Springs. And he was running late. I was on time. I left my makeup kit on the porch. It was 120 degrees that day. I got to Palm Springs. I said, Kenny, my makeup. I left my makeup on the porch. He hands me the keys to his cranberry red Jaguar. He says, I wanted to take it back, darling. Just be careful. I said, Kenny, a Jaguar? I'm not ready. <laughs> he said, you have to. I got to set the show. You got to go get your makeup kit because we need you tonight. I drove 90 miles across the desert in Kenny's red Jaguar. I got stopped by the police. They said, well, sir, whose car is this? I said, it's my friend's. Well, you have any license or registration? It's not my car. I was kind of, I was really panicking. So I gave them the stuff in the glove, glove box and they read it and said, oh, this is Kenny Kerr's car. I said, it is. Mind you, I am literally peeing my pants. I said, sir, I was driving fast. I didn't mean to, but I left my makeup kit. He said, it's okay. It's Kenny's car. Just have a great show and be safe and uh, have a great show and that was, that was my story to Kenny to show how much people loved him. I just wish he could have kept his enemies that he thought was his friends out of the circle. I do. I miss him dearly, and I'm grateful for the time I got to spend with him. Thanks for that story. You're welcome. Michelle must have something to say. Michelle, you I got a, a lot story. to say. Because when he was at the Silver Slipper and I was here in high school and got graduated, I used to feed them at night. Oh, Kenny go, yeah, she know how to cook. She'll cook for you. I used to feed them. And then I left and moved back to Louisiana. And then I came back here when my mom got sick in the 80s, late ladies. Um and we hooked up again, and we just partied and had fun. We did, we did, they had, at, when Gypsies was open, we did Hollywood Squares. And I, I was Oprah, and, and Kenny was himself, and we were sitting next to each other just laughing and joking when they made that big square in the middle of the stage. Oh, <laughs> and then I ran for Miss Pride, I wasn't going to run because I had just broke my foot performing. And Kenny go, why are you not going to do it? I said, I got a cast on my foot. Who's going to vote for me with a cast on my foot? And lo and behold, I won the pageant. And Kenny rented an open convertible limo. Not a casket. Yeah, it was an open limo. And we went from bar to bar. And I can tell you the first parade this town ever had was when we all lined up down in front of, of uh, yes. And then we met up in front of Palm's Mortuary. We met up in front of Palm's Mortuary. Me and Kenny was in a limo. All the cars were behind us on Sunset. And we all, it was a parade to go into Sunset Park. That was the year I had the cast on my foot. And I remember the number I performed, I performed You uh, Think, and I was out there with a cast on my foot doing Think by Aretha. And that was the best time I've ever had because I wasn't going to do it. And he's like, don't let that cast fool you. That cast is not you. You're you. And he was always telling me, "Go, just be you. To wrap up the Kenny Kerr thing, and, and we all have so many fond memories. <laughs> Of Kenny, and uh, I, I could tell us a thousand stories, but Wes, I'm thinking, uh, thank you again for interviewing us all today and asking us and, all know, these the crazy thanks, questions. The thanks should come from me. No, to you, it's 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 you've been willing to sit down with. Well, me. I, I, I these really... are all my some of my best friends in the whole world that we're talking with you today, and and I know that you are an entrepreneur. 
and a businessman, and now a podcast host. <laughs> well, I'm, not, I'm not sure of your How titles. How did that happen? I don't know, but I've known you for a while, and uh, you've always given back to this community. I've known you so long, and I was thinking, I just wanted to thank you for your support of this community. One of the things that I realized recently was that that night that I went, I actually took pictures, and so I planned to post those pictures on the episode page for this episode of the podcast. So I Perfect. still have those pictures. Oh, you have them still? I still have Good. them. I'm going to scan them because, you know, they're in the old-fashioned format. Yeah, no, when we, used have to, to... we used to we used to take, for those young people out there listening, <laughs> we used to take this little device called a camera. It was yeah. the only thing you could do with it was take pictures. You couldn't talk with it. You couldn't uh, connect with apps you with it. All you couldn't Instagram it. Yeah, you couldn't Instagram it. All you could do with this device take was take pictures. The picture. And in order to do that, you had to put a... Uh, you had to put this stuff in there called film. <laughs> and you would put the film in the camera. And you had to have a what? A flash bulb. You had to have a flash bulb or you, you know, the picture would be dark. Too dark. And so you would take this little box called a camera that you put this stuff in it called film. Film. You would take your pictures using the flash. Then you would take this stuff out of the camera, the stuff called film, and you would have to take it to a store where they would develop it. And they charged a huge fee. So now you're waiting. You know, you could be waiting for days to find out if you smiled right in right. the picture that yeah. was taken uh, versus today's Anyone technology. Anyone born, I guess, before 1990, I guess? Yeah, there's going to be people out there. Because my business, be... uh, with drag shows and perform <laughs> any show at all, really, uh, in the olden days, and I know a lot of people in this room, you would bring your record, your LP, okay. and they would play the record. Or <laughs> then later on, there were cassette tapes. Cassette tapes, You had a yes. cassette tape. And then somewhere in the middle, there was reel-to-reel tape. And a lot of clubs had reel-to-reel tape, and you could edit, but you literally had to, they called it splicing. And you literally had to take the little magnetic tape and a razor blade and s cut the actual tape and splice it together with a little dab of glue so that the music... Today, you go on any program, any software program, you know, Audacity any editor, or yeah, any, any, exactly. any uh, micro uh, play, <laughs> word play. Anyway, we're talking about the old days. But ask any 20-year-old what a 45 is. <laughs> they will not have a yeah, clue. They'll say an old person. <laughs> They'll That's say right. an old or a person. VHS, or a VHS or a Betamax. <laughs> Remember Betamax? Yes, Beta. There we well, go. Well... So, you know, I have one last thing. One of the things I do traditionally with this podcast is I ask people who are guests a fun sensory question. And so I'd like to go ahead and ask those. And, and we'll start with Michelle because we started with Jimmy on everything. So we'll, we'll let Michelle be the start on this one. Here, you've talked about food. My fun sensory question, because food is about the sense of taste, I would like you to describe yourself in terms of food. Fried chicken. Hot, crispy, and let's get it on. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Who's going to? So, my next question would be um, Do you like champagne? And if so, what is your favorite brand? I'm not, I'm not much of a champagne drinker because I'm really cheap after two drinks. My favorite would be, my favorite would be Don Perignon. Thank you. <laughs> so, Sean, I have a question for you. And the question would be, have you ever given someone a handmade present? Have well, you yeah. ever given someone a handmade present? Just about every present I give out to anybody, if I do give anybody anything, would be handmade because I am an artist and a costume designer. That's the only kind of gifts we ever got is what we made ourselves for each other. And I find that a handmade gift is usually a lot more personal and people tend to, to hang on to it and don't trade it in if you make it from the heart. My last question for Jimmy would be, do you believe in public displays of affection? You know what? I'm gonna, I, that's a great question because I'm going to tell you something. I do believe in public displays of affection, but there's a limit. If you want to kiss your girlfriend or your boyfriend or your or your or your significant other or hold hands, absolutely. Yeah, I do believe in public displays of affection. This brings me to the last part of our show, which is a part a segment we call That Makes Sense to Me. And there have been some great nuggets of ideas and information shared here today. And I really want to thank everybody for that. The uh, what I'd like to ask you, Jimmy, is what one or two strategies would you recommend for people who want to implement any of the 
the ideas or the thoughts that were shared today? Well, it's pretty simple because I've been doing this a long, long time. And strategy is a great word, and I'll tell you why. Any project you approach as you want to do, whether it be a one-man show, a group show, uh, to sell Tupperware, whatever you want to do, is uh, marketing. You've got to market. You've got to find a way to make your product or your or your uh, act or your show special and unique. There's always an edge, and don't be afraid to ask other people's ideas. Many's the time. I'll just, when something's like a new show, I'm going to do a show or I'm going to have a theme, let's say one night. I want to do Disney. We're going to have Disney night. You could just pull some Disney song, but I want to have a hook on it. You know, anybody can do a Disney night, but I want it to be unique. And I'll actually go outside my comfort zone and call people I don't usually talk to because they're, go to the people you know. Ask them, what would you do if you were doing this? If they're your friend, they'll tell you. And I think marketing is the key to anything. And in this day and time, uh, I think it pays to grow up and learn because I'm old. Learn, I've had to learn software and, 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 and social media. Social media, and you know, Wes, as well as I do, is the key to pretty much everything that you do anymore. You can spend thousands of dollars for print ads and billboards, but if you don't get your message to your right demographic, it's not going to work. So don't be afraid to do your homework and, and come up with something new. Or even if it's old, twist it and make it new. And there you have it. Strategic words from an expert in the field. That makes sense to me. So I, I want to thank everybody for participating with me this afternoon. This was just an amazing, uh, amazing experience to, to hear so many great stories and so many great um, thoughts on this topic. And uh, hopefully maybe we can do it again sometime. Thank you, Wes. Thank you. For free tips, resources, and information, visit SensationalCustomerExperiences.com, your premier experience brand brought to you by Training for Results, located in the sensory capital of the world, Las Vegas, Nevada. Until next time, remember, if you can sense it, your customers can too.